With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Good or Bad. I am so excited, AJ, for this particular episode. I have to say I am excited, too, because it's an interesting one because it's stories, good or bad. Are stories good or bad? And what I think is interesting is I make my living from telling stories, as do you, and yet I have become very more and more skeptical of stories. Well, it's interesting because in a very broad definition, and maybe we can get to this, very broad definition, everyone makes their living from stories. But let's just stick to the fact that professionally, you and I write stories and get paid for them. Right. Well, that's a good place yeah. to start, though, to define stories. I, mean, I think today we're talking about nonfiction stories, uh, true story or allegedly true stories. But I, I would say fiction stories and nonfiction stories have the same structure. Well, that's what I think. I think a story, well, the way we're going to define it today, is it's, it's something that has a beginning, a middle, an end. It's got characters with motivations. A good story usually has conflict and resolution. And, uh, and that's a, as opposed to sort of data, like uh, just, you know, the... Here's what the economy the did numbers. yesterday. Right. Here's what the stocks did yesterday. Uh, here's how many people died from this disease right. last Charts. week. Yes, exactly. So the anecdote versus data. And, and I, I would add that I think stories, and I don't know if this is kind of like Joseph Campbell in his, the you know, The Hero's Journey argues that stories have this primal evolutionary structure, which is the arc of the hero, which just... There's lots of definitions of that, but very quickly, uh, uh, the main character gets a, a call to action or a call to go from the ordinary world to the extraordinary world. He rejects it, but then falls into it, finds mentors, finds friends who help him along the way, has bigger and bigger problems until finally facing the biggest problem, and then in victory returns home to share the knowledge. It's kind of yeah. the typical arc of the hero. And I, and I do think... Both nonfiction stories and fiction stories tend to have that structure if they're successful stories. Yeah, exactly. There are some things that make sticky stories. And God, I hope that 
I'm not going to have bigger and bigger problems. I feel like I already. <laughs> but like, for, for think, <laughs> yeah, but... Th- think about. Let, let's just take your book, your 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 best-selling book, the Year of Living, or my Year of Living biblically. Was it the Year or my Year? I forget. The Year. The yeah. Year of Living biblically. You had to think about it a second. I saw. Uh, <laughs> you, 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 the Ark of the Hero applies there. It's it's a true story about you, and yet you had to make it compelling. So the ordinary world is you, right? Not living the biblical life then you you took the call to action you exactly. live you went into the extraordinary world you decide i'm going to live a year living totally by the rules of the bible and nothing else and then you had bigger and bigger problems along the way yep. uh you you found new colleagues and peers to help you like you consulted with other religious people with right. rabbis with atheists and so on and then finally after you confronted bigger and bigger problems and maybe the biggest problem towards the end, you came back and shared the knowledge by writing the book. And that's your career. (laughs) I know. And I have issues with it. I mean, it is interesting because I definitely structured the book almost in a novelistic way. And all of it was true. It's just the way I decided to, what I left out was uh, a lot. So, um, but let's, uh, before we start trashing stories, or, yes, the pros are great. So there are so many pros. So let's go over. Your career is, is defined by those. My yes, career is defined by the pros. I, stories are an extremely effective way to get people to act, uh, to inspire them. And uh, the, the most famous literary agent in New York once said to writers, don't bring me a book about the Holocaust. Bring me a story about Anne Frank. Because our brains are not programmed to to uh, to comprehend the big picture. We need to focus on the one person. And there's there's a famous study that I'm sure you know about. When, when getting people to donate, if you focus on that one person, on, on the one girl with a disease, not the statistic that 10,000 people have the disease, that will raise a lot more money. So it's, it's a much more effective way to... Uh, inspire people can I, can I can i say something related to that yeah um so there was a study done uh uh, uh these these scientists or grad students bought a bunch of knives from china mm. and put them for sale on ebay and you know they sold them all for a certain price then they took the same set of knives um they bought the same set of knives again and they told a story about mm. these knives came it was all true but these knives came from china here's what they're good for here's you know they told the story of those knives it, it like tripled the price so i don't know the exact numbers we'll have to check that but it was some significant um uh increase in price and ebay's an auction system so they didn't set the price it was determined by auction so storytelling that's actually right. increases Price. People want stories. They w- yeah. stories are currency more than just about anything else. That is interesting. Yeah, and that's what heirlooms are. Like their story of the you know the heirloom. It's really just a wooden box, but uh, but you tell a story about it, and it suddenly becomes this sacred thing. Right. Like if you say um, a chair is like Art Deco, the price just went up. Because yeah, exactly. <laughs> we, we associate a, a bunch of stories about what that means, right? And we apply it to that chair. Um, can I give another? Uh, positive that I yeah. think one I, I think narratives are so helpful in retaining your sanity and not like uh, spiraling into uh, uh, just helpless depression at least that for me you know turning your life into a story um, instead of just a random series of events with no meaning like turning it into a story is so important I remember 
I often tell the story of how when I was on, when I had my first uh, media appearance, it was like a local radio show in San Francisco where I lived. And I was so nervous that I couldn't stop stuttering. So I just went, I, 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 and they had to cut me off after two minutes and end the interview. I'm like, oh, no. thank you. That's A.J. Jacobs. And I've turned this tale into uh, a, a sort of a classic narrative. Like that was the moment I decided I am going to become uh, uh, media uh, savvy and learn how to speak on the radio. And that's not true. That's right. probably not true. But but it's interesting because I remember as a kid, often my favorite comic books were the origin stories mm. of superheroes. There was even a series in DC called uh, Secret Origins, which told the origin stories of each uh, superhero. It was a popular uh, comic book. But I but love an origin story, yeah. But you're right. Like People always want, like, when did you decide to do x and they always want like they that want a moment they want that call to action moment that 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 moment that took you from the ordinary world into the extraordinary world and you meet obi-wan kenobi and right you fight darth vader and so on and it's usually it's not a good story to say oh there were about 30 incremental small uh realizations that sort of swayed me i took two steps forward one step at that like I'm already asleep right now. Right. So, but that's the way life works. It, it, it is not that there is this one epiphany, but epiphany is a good story. That's what we want to hear. And and even if you think about the news every day, like I used to work for, I won't say which news source, but I used to work for a news source, and the editor would gather all the reporters into his the the conference room every morning and say, okay. What fear or greed story oh, can we tell today? <laughs> you don't just want to say, um, oh, stocks went up yesterday. You have to say stocks went down yesterday because of fears. Uh, China is going to cut off rare earth minerals, which you know fuel $100 trillion worth of our semiconductors or whatever. You, you have to – stories is what make people – it's, it drives people forward. It drives people to buy things. It drives people to buy newspapers. It drives people to to – experience their lives. By the way, mentioning, you know, how do you make your life as a story? Have you ever read uh, Donald Miller? You know who Donald Miller is? No, tell me more. So he's he's written a, a bunch of books about this. Basically, they're one of his books, and I, I forget the name now, um, but he uh, wrote a book about where he's, the, the whole book is about how is he living the arc of the hero? Because oh, he wants to be a hero in his own story. Right. You don't want to be the, you know, one of the guys who just beams down with Captain Kirk and then dies, you want to be Captain Kirk in your story. Oh, I love that idea, though, of being a, a, like a cameo player in your own life story. Like that's that uh, it's like Gildan's Gildan Krantz and Rosen. Oh, man. Right. I, the, the, the play about these two bit characters in Shakespeare, uh, Rosencrantz and Gildenstern. But that is funny. You're right. We all make ourselves like the center of the universe. It, or we should we, not not the center of the universe, but we should think about a little how we can be the hero in our own story. Well, we don't always just want to live. We should and we shouldn't. Maybe there's, there's right. Good we're, we're just going that. on the pros and cons. Yeah. But a, a, a possible pro is that asking yourself, how can I go from mm -hmm. the ordinary to the extraordinary? What colleagues and mentors do I then need? Right. What problems am I going to have that get me out of my comfort zone? And you know what knowledge will I gain at the end of this story? And then yeah. you begin the next story. There's a sequel. I love it. Yeah. 
and and likewise it's it's great for inspiring my kids like i tell stories like i talk about how their great grandfather was born on you know he had he he didn't have enough to eat the refrigerator or the icebox was locked because they didn't have enough to eat and uh, but he worked hard and he he became a lawyer. He went to night school, and it's very inspirational. It, not only is it inspirational, but you're not just telling a story about a random guy who did it. You're telling about their grandfather or their right. great grandfather. So it's really part of their story. So that's why they love it so much. Is it's their story too? I don't know if they love it. <laughs> I keep telling them, but it's certainly more effective than say, you know, saying the genie coefficient of the United States is uh, is this and uh, there's a lot of genies in the United States I didn't know that no this is the uh, the social mobility oh. uh, like there's a certain different societies have different levels of social mobility so uh, is the US the best or no, no it is definitely Who's not we got to look it up we got to look it up that's for the postscript but uh, I know we're in the middle somewhere uh, but it's how much is predetermined by wh where in the socioeconomic ladder you're born but a good story is that you rise up. Like uh, a good story is not you are born uh, into a certain cast and you stay there. That's yeah. not that's not going to sell in any books. No, and you, I I would argue that I mean there's so many the idea of rising up, particularly in America, maybe other places. There's so many stories. Like look at the, look at Mad Men. All right, Mad Men is about a guy who came from the the worst level of poverty, uh, fakes his identity, and then rises up doing what? Telling stories, right. making up stories about, fictional stories about products so he could sell them better. Good so point. he's selling himself and he's selling these products and that's the story of right. Mad Men that and we ads, love. Ads are definitely stories, like the story if you buy this car, you're gonna have a glamorous life and you're gonna get to marry this attractive person and and, uh, Tyler Cowen, the economist talks about this. We got to decouple ads from the story, from the product, uh, because very hard to do though, because <laughs> we're inundated by it all day long. Yeah. And like, think of the, think of the iconic products that we still use today. Like, like, you know, Apple products, the 1984 commercial aired only once during the, the Super Bowl of 1984, but it was, and it never mentions the product, but is this guy running through this 1984, you know, George Orwellian like cinema where these guys are robotically repeating the sayings of their leader and he throws a hammer, smash, they, they, our hero throws a hammer smashing the screen and it kind of represents that Apple is for the next generation and it's IBM. It's revolutionary, right? Yeah. So, so that story has nothing to do with whether Apple's computers were better than IBM's computers. It has nothing to do at all with anything, but it's the story that ignited us. I know. That is fascinating. And yeah, people love a rebellion story, um, but we'll get into it. You know, that's not always, some rebels are horrible. Like, you know, uh, I'm, you, you could say that white nationalists are rebels against our society, but that doesn't make them good. Um, but anyway, what other, uh, I, I'm so excited to talk about the bad then I'm going to stop with the good, but you tell me any other goods. Okay. I think stories have provided very useful functions in society over tens of thousands of years. So it's one way to um, pass along scary information to children who might not understand in more sophisticated ways. Like don't, you know, 
like evil demons live across that mountain over there. So never go there or you'll be captured by evil demons. Now, it could be that just some tribe or something else or some tigers were there. But uh, telling a story of these evil demons was kind of a safer and more informative and memorable way for the next, for, 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 uh, you know, parents or adults in tens of thousands of years ago to pass on information to the next generation. Right. So it's a good way to pass information is through storytelling. It, if you just say this type of lion lives over there, they might not even remember or they might not think it's that important. But if you say, you know, if you tell a whole story of, you know, our king was lost when he went into that air, they might remember it better. Right. And the question is, well, that's also... Uh, fictional stories can be that that seems sort of fictional and legend uh and those yes have some morals that you can impart does the good of imparting those morals can you impart the same moral by telling the truth and i'm not by telling like a, a statistic and you say no like you can't just say that uh 12 percent of children who wander over there are eaten by lions that's not going to no, pass the test. It's the same way. It's the same idea as the eBay uh, anecdote I mentioned earlier. If you just give data, like this knife is this this many inches long and it's this level of sharpness, that doesn't do it. If you tell the story, where it's from, how it's been used, right? You know, people pay more attention or are actually willing to pay more for it. So people are able to to somehow people value the information more if it comes packaged totally. in a story. I, and we'll get into the bad, but I just can't resist from just saying the good is that it's so much stickier in a story form, but the bad is the same because you can manipulate, you can focus on the one girl who falls down a well and not on the thousands of kids who die of malaria. So it's so easy to man manipulate the the data when it's in a story form. Almost everything we're saying is a positive is a negative. And like <laughs> right. advertising, which is all story driven, you can argue is a hundred percent a negative in some right. ways. But um uh I would I would argue this is a very important thing actually that I think is valuable for stories. It's a way for all of us to experience potentially very dangerous things in a safe environment. So for instance, I could read a a mystery novel um, and I'm experiencing, you know, I can read a mystery novel from the point of view of like the detective and the detective maybe is constantly beaten up, chased, you know, risking his life. And eventually he comes to some salient point and solves the mystery. So I could, because of the escapist nature of stories, I could sort of inhabit that world in my brain and experience these really intense emotions and experiences almost as if I'm there, but I'm not there because I'm right. just living that in a story. So I could consume tens of thousands of stories that way. It's almost as if I'm like a vampire soaking up all of these other people's experiences, whether nonfiction or fiction. And that's my way of experiencing their life a little bit without actually having to, while just sitting at home in, in the comforts of my right. chair and couch. And, and the good part of that, I think, is that it increases compassion. Like like when you read a book like Dave Eggers, What is the What? about a child soldier in Sudan, you know, of course, I'm not going to experience that or know exactly what it's like, but I'm going to get a hint and it might increase my compassion and, and maybe make me um, get involved 
uh, in trying to stop these atrocities. Right. So yeah, that is, it's very effective. Very effective. I, I would argue expose even exposing kids to large amounts of stories like that mm-hmm. is is beneficial as opposed to kind of um, you, you could argue the modern educational system is not like this, but I would say it's it's you know we tend to teach for the test. And so we we force kids to do lots of memorization of facts, which they then quickly forget, as opposed (laughs) to um, I think the best education is story driven, where you do allow kids to see the story of the child in Sudan or, or, uh, you know, aspects of it in history that were particularly uh, painful that we would never want to experience ourselves. But you can experience it to a small extent by reading in a story. I, I actually I remember talking about this in my book on reading the encyclopedia. And I ran across this amazing story of this woman named Belle Boyd, who was um, uh, she was a, a, a woman who was from the South, but she became a spy uh, for the North, and uh, and and she married a guy from the North. It was like a Romeo and Juliet thing, and and she got caught and had to move. And it was such a cinematic, exciting story. And I was sad if I had learned this in school, I would have been so riveted during classes on the Civil War. Um, so yeah, it, I agree. It is, uh, it is exciting. It's a way to make history come alive. Yeah, history and even like a story like Romeo and Juliet, uh, you know, kind of like the classic Shakespeare story is, is I would not want to experience that story myself, but... Uh, <laughs> you wouldn't want to die as a 15-year-old from right. taking poison? Right, exactly. Uh, mistakenly, but, when the, your mate is not actually dead? <laughs> exactly. I wouldn't want to experience that. But reading it does make you experience it a little bit. Your your brain sometimes doesn't fully distinguish between the story and reality. And you experience it, and you experience these emotions People cry watching Romeo and Juliet. Uh, And you can, so so in other words, it's a safe way to go through dangerous experiences or dangerous emotions without being personal, really personally or physically uh, uh, affected. And, and, you know, we've, we've talked about this before, but as a teaching mechanism, better to learn about the Holocaust by reading about Anne Frank than just saying, this many people died in this place in this year, like, you know, just being force fed facts. Stories are always seem to be better as a teaching mechanism. Yeah. And, and I can say always without having the research in front of me, because a, that's how I've, that's the only <laughs> way I've been able to learn. I don't remember any facts from school. I only remember stories and, uh, we write stories. We know this is the way to yeah. get the best way to communicate to people. And I know this just not only from, the point of view of someone who's written books and articles, but even as someone who's done advertising, you know, those stories sell. Yeah. And you, know, be- be- you can't just say, buy this, it's better. You have to tell the story of why it's better. That's buy usually a story. And you will find an attractive mate. Yeah. And, and, and you look at like Robert Cialdini's book, Influence, where he, he basically tells the elements of, he basically tells the elements of successful persuasion and a lot of those elements are used in advertising mm-hmm. but a lot of that is related to storytelling like uh oh you t- see a story of other people who have tried this product you you see a story of someone famous who's tried this product you oh, oh by the way because of this situation that's happening this product might not be around for that much longer uh so all of these are kind of storytelling techniques used in advertising yeah 
Um, I am so excited to get to the negatives of stories. Is it too early? Well, one more thing. Okay. Um, stories are a good way to explain very complicated things in a very simple way. So uh, we don't think of, we don't know every detail of the the sun and how, you know, when you're a kid, you don't learn there's like this constant nuclear fusion happening in the middle of the sun. You just learn that there's, oh, this huge, hot, gaseous thing that everything's rotating around. And it's usually told in kind of a story fashion, like, oh, the, it's 20 billion years old. It, it was The sun was born this way. And then the earth came out of it like this. So, so very complicated things can be told in a very simple fashion through through storytelling. Agree. I mean, is that a good or a bad? Like like you said, the stock market. I love that because uh, I actually wrote about this in one of my books. How there's always the news will always find a reason, a very simple reason. Oh, the Dow dropped because Apple reported lower than expected profits. The Dow dropped because the head of the Federal Reserve is taking goiter medication. Oh, the truth is those are stabs in the dark. The causation is so complex now. There are yeah. thousands of factors. So, but yeah, it, if you... Oh, oh, let me just add that one second, one line. There's, there's uh, a, a, when you strip out all of these superfluous stories mm -hmm. about the stock market, which J.P. Morgan did, uh, one time someone asked J.P. Morgan, what are stocks going to do tomorrow? And he said, stocks will fluctuate. <laughs> so a, so it's almost when you actually it. just tell the truth as opposed to a story, it's so ridiculous in our minds now that it becomes a joke. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, what's going to happen in the future? You know, things. things <laughs> That's yeah, it. Complex things that we cannot predict with our current state of knowledge. Um, or we can use a story to, to make a guess. Right. Which has, has, you know, good and bad. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I, I lived in over 100 or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period, and I loved it. I, loved, I became a really good guest of Airbnbs, and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests and having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away. And I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three-story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
I am so glad you convinced me that the family car should be the Defender 110. It is so beautiful inside. It's so comfortable and it just feels indestructible. Yes, it really is. I've been waiting a long time for the new model to come out. The Defender 110, I'm telling you, it's my favorite car of all times. It's my third one. You know, I have stories of going off road. The guy managed the group. He was like, what are you doing in this beautiful car? I'm like, I'm going off road. He's like, are you sure? Because you can use one of ours. And then they look like Mad Max cars. I'm like, no, 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 no. we're going to do this. And he was shocked. Wow. Well, it's great because the Defender has been reimagined for 21st century adventure and its unparalleled off-road ability as well as its robust interior are invaluable whether you're headed towards uncharted territory or just a weekend of exploration. The Defender 110 tackles challenging surroundings with absolute confidence. The SUV conveys strength outside and in, featuring peerless technology like an intuitive driver display and an award-winning infotainment system. That's my favorite part, to keep you connected no matter where the journey takes you. Adventure is unique to everyone, and so is the Defender. Choose from the two-door Defender 90, the four-door Defender 110, or the larger Defender 130 with the ability to seat up to eight passengers. You'll find uncompromising performance in all three. So pack up and go even further with the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. Hey, listen, men's health is important. Men act all cocky and like they don't need anything. But the reality is, as you get older, there's some things you need. And it often feels like we're too busy to take care of our health problems. Like I'd rather do anything than go to the doctor or the dentist or the pharmacy or whatever. But now you don't have to waste your time if you use HIMS, HIMS, H-I-M-S, HIMS is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Jay, you listening to all this? Yes, I definitely got to use HIMS from now Not on. that you need it. You're, you're young and healthy. James, I'm 35. You're getting there. You might you might need it. Who knows? But if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. No insurance is needed. You can manage your plan on the Hims app, track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at hymns.com slash James. Could you imagine that? There's a whole section just with my name on it. Hims.com slash James. That's how I how much I am representative of the kind of person who needs hymns. That's HIMS.com slash James for your personalized treatment options. Hims.com slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See hymns.com slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. Let's let's start trashing stories. The foundation of all civilization. <laughs> let's just destroy it. But you know what? You know, I think we should give. Why, why is it important to understand the negative? Because because stories aren't going away, and stories are how society survives. Because as Yuval Harari points out in *Sapiens*, even the notion of being an American or being British or being, you know, Chinese, 
That's a story. Yeah. National boundaries are are stories. We Agreed. we make that up. There's like like it, it's not science. Science didn't come down and say this is China. Right. <laughs> Don't go over this line, or you're now you're Chinese. Yeah. There's nothing objective in the world in that. So uh, so, so we're not uh, getting rid of stories. No, I think that um, we'll never get rid. They're always going to be here. But being skeptical of certain types of stories is very important, and being able to align stories better with the true data, that's also extremely important. So we'll, we'll get into what that means. But, but essentially, one of the big problems with stories is what they call the narrative fallacy, what psychologists call. And one of my favorite websites, you ever go on Less Wrong? Less Wrong? No. I'm gonna, oh, it's awesome. I'm going to check that out. It's like a super uh, rationality, pro-rationality uh, and I love it because it's less wrong. We're never going to be fully right, but we can be less wrong. So they define the narrative fallacy as our tendency to turn everything we see into a story, a linear chain of cause and effect with a beginning and an end. Obviously, the real world is not like this. Events are complex and interrelated. Uh, we know this, but the hard part is convincing our brain of the fact. Uh, and and they point out that we are wired for stories, yes, uh, evolutionarily, like a story like "See Tiger Run, Don't Die." That is a an important story to know. Um, but now the world is so much more complex. But we're stuck with this very simple linear hardware, and that's where I think it causes problems. So I have I've written down like four thing, four ways stories distort our thinking in a in a dangerous way. Uh, and it's because we're we're wired for it. This is how this is why our brains are susceptible to being distorted. But before you go over these ways, and right. and and we can, by the way, and this is this is so Daniel Kahneman, who who writes, you know, he wrote in the book Thinking Fast and Slow, uh, he, and he won the Nobel Prize for his work on cognitive biases, uh, uh, in part on cognitive biases. He basically says even if you know these things, you can't avoid thinking Total, in these right. ways but it does help to be skeptical and and you know awareness is always the first step so they right. say in aa you know awareness that you're an alcoholic <laughs> is the <laughs> first true. step towards we curing. are addicted to stories yeah. and it's funny you mentioned that it is wired in because there was a fascinating study it's a long time ago in the 40s where they would show people an animation of a big triangle a small triangle and a circle going around a screen and people created stories that the the big triangle was the villain and the little triangle was the hero because that's the way we're wired. But it's just a bunch of lines randomly yeah, going on a that's screen. Interesting. Uh, and, and again, I would say even further is that I do believe that the, the arc of the hero or some form of it is is kind of wired into our brains, which is why we like Star Wars more than, I don't know, all the stories we don't know about. <laughs> It's true. There are millions of stories of but just Star like, Wars matches beat for beat. Oh, Harry yeah. Potter, the Bible. You know, you look at all these like famous stories that that we know and love and and revere. They're all the same, just put in different contexts. And yeah. so, and that's an important thing to understand as a storyteller. It's okay to quote unquote steal if, if which is basically what George Lucas did. He wanted to do a western set in outer space. Yeah. So he studied the structure of a Western, he studied, he read Joseph Campbell's book on the arc of the hero, and then he did it in outer space. Yeah, and he brought up Romeo and Juliet earlier. That was, uh, I mean, Shakespeare stole that plot literally from from poems and other plays called Romeo and Juliet, 
uh, but he just wrote it so much more beautifully. Um, all right, so one, number one. I didn't know one. that. There was another story called Romeo and Juliet. Oh, yeah, and he it was just... like a myth. It was like huh. a, a long-time legend. It was like, you know, uh, Goldilocks and the Three Bears. Was, um, but anyway, the um, all right, so number one for me is that stories, a good story tends to have a hero, and it glorifies the individual. And the problem I have with that is that nowadays – all good things, most of the problems require the co cooperation of hundreds, thousands of people. But a story, a good story is about the single hero. And I'll, I'll give you two examples. One, uh, Paul Revere. You know, we all know he's an American hero. But there were several other people riding that night, warning colonists, including people who would say Israel Bissell. He rode more miles than Paul Revere, but no one knows his name because the poet Longfellow decided to focus on Revere because uh, he decided he needed one hero. And uh, so now we all know Revere and poor Bissell is spinning in his grave like, what about me? I I was there too. I think I'm... I think you should write the story of Israel Bissell. <laughs> <laughs> the Midnight Ride of Israel Bissell. It is a... Um, and, and he to give all you, did it while he was doing a whistle. Oh, perfect. <laughs> Done. Do a wrap on it. Done. Um, and the second example is uh, Adam Grant, who uh, we've mentioned, I think, before. The, the psychologist talks about Jonas Salk. You know, he was on the cover of Time magazine. He found the cure for polio. Uh, but the truth is, he was part of a team. There were six people on his team who did major work on it. He couldn't have done it without other scientists who figured out how to grow polio in the test tubes so that he could work on the vaccine. But it's not interesting. It's not a good story to have, um, you know, 14, 28 people on the cover of Time and then a list of names in the Time magazine article. That is not a good story. Uh, so and that causes two problems in real life. First of all, the other scientists were pissed. Understandably, they were like, what about me? Secondly, I think it has a bad moral for our kids, like this idea of the lone hero scientist yeah. who makes the discovery. Like, oh, I'm not going to cooperate with these people. I'm going to go out. I'm a maverick on my own. Uh, but really, science, the best science needs to be cooperative. I think, I think that's such an interesting point because it happens in science. It happens in business. It happens in sports. Yes. You know, like... A football team wins, and you might say, "Oh, this! Thank God for this player. That's why we won the Super Bowl." But actually, that player by himself wouldn't have won, and with a different team, they they probably <laughs> wouldn't have won. So, so team efforts really are team efforts. But, but again, we are wired to focus on the individual, and even as a writer, we tend to focus on the individual. That's why Longfellow he he didn't tell this interweaving narrative of six different writers. He told Paul Revere's story. That was the hero. You needed a hero. Uh, you know, and Jonas Salk is a great example. There's a whole team of people. I think I think almost every, even like Einstein, there were other people who were working on the theory of relativity, mm. but Einstein had this look and this charisma that propelled him into first place in, in terms of the public's eye. And so how do you avoid, how do you avoid, like what what is the bias? Like the bias is a the receiver of the story is not getting all the correct information. And like you said, your kids, my kids might think, oh, 
I better be a lone wolf on this because that's how you succeed. Everyone else is stupid. I'm going to succeed. And so that might give a, a different uh, a sense of what success is. Right. And I, and I, my heart does go out to all those who, who were part of history, but they're just totally forgotten. Like Alicia Gray, uh, do you know that name? No. He was, uh, he filed for the telephone patent like several hours after Alexander Graham Bell. If he had just done his like errands in the morning, I mean, in the afternoon. <laughs> if he didn't of, make his bed. Yeah. He would have. <laughs> oh, if he didn't make his bed. That's right. But anyway, yeah. Oh, so, you, know, you know, another one, uh, Marsha Lucas. So when we think of Star Wars, we think of George Lucas, but Marsha Lucas actually did much of the writing. Who's did that, his wife? Uh, his wife at the oh. time, it was his wife. She did much of the writing. She did much of the dialogue. She did much of the character development. And you you, you have to ask, who's that? Even though I say her name, last name's Lucas. Right. <laughs> so that, that is, a... all right. So glorifies the individual is one. Number two is, is kind of related. Um, it really amplifies this availability fallacy, which is that the most interesting, recent, memorable things are at the top of the mind. Because uh, something like uh, humans or bad guys, good and evil with motives, that's a good story. Like a shark bite. That's exciting because you got the villain, the shark, and the biting. That's a good story. Uh, you know, uh, kids dying of diarrhea. Uh, it's not a good story because it's it's more passive. There's no particular visual villain. I mean, it is three thousand kids die from diarrhea every day. I mean, every I, day. Yeah. No. It is a shocking number. That's around the world, maybe. Oh yeah, yeah, not in yeah. America, but uh, it is unfortunately a huge problem. But but overlooked because it's it's more um, it's more passive. It's more uh, more accidental. Like we don't. We focus on the one person a year who is in America killed by shark. Actually, it's a half person uh, because it's once every two years. Um, and, and and by the way, sharks don't usually uh, sharks will bite, but they uh, they apparently don't like the taste of human of humans oh, I didn't of know human that. flesh. So they'll, they'll they they don't eat the whole human. So the human dies from the one bite and then blood coming out. But if you save the the sharks will leave. If you save the person, the person. Could live, but be missing an arm or a leg or whatever, which is typically what happens. Right, which also makes a great story. Yes, like, and particularly triumph. if it's like a professional surfer, yes. young girl. We all oh, know that, that person, exciting, yeah. but we never hear about the the kid with diarrhea, like you say. Right, uh, or accidents. You know, like um, you don't hear about uh, the latest statistic I read was a hundred thousand people die of uh, of preventable infections in the hospital because doctors don't wash their hands enough. Uh, so this is. Uh, this is not a good story. It's not because there's no clear villain and, and it happens over time as opposed to one exciting moment. So, yeah, to me, it focuses our attention on a certain type of tragedy. And, and you could say this is the newspaper's fault. Why are they re over reporting one thing and not reporting another? But they you can't blame them, really, because they've got to stay in business. <laughs> and this is what sells. So they're yeah, they're they're paid to write stories about sharks. You could, you could argue it that way. There, people think newspapers are paid to write about the news. That's not true. They're paid to write stories about sharks versus diarrhea. Well, that is such an interesting meta point because it's not like journalists are the villains. It's just that there's this impersonal uh, system that's set up with incentives that are bad for the world where they, if they write about sharks, 
they're going to make more money and stay in business. And, and you know Shankar Vedantam? He hosts like, uh, Hidden Brain on NPR. No. Uh, I, I, lovely. I so love wait, that what show. Was, what was one? Lesswrong.com and now Hidden Brain. Yeah, both I highly recommend. Mm -hmm. uh, and he says, nations tend to focus far more time and money on tragedies caused by human actions instead of tragedies cause, uh, that cause the greatest amount of suffering. And those are not always the same. So something that might cause a huge amount of suffering is is just that, like you know, the uh, diseases, like like worm intestinal worms, as opposed to terrorism, which is a great story, like evil, horrible people doing something in a very visual, fast moment way. Um, that's a good story, right? But also, there's, there's a positive to that as well, because if something's an accident. You can. It's hard to understand. What do we do about this? What are the what are what are the root causes? Is it just because this person was clumsy and then died? And as like like take the explosion of the I guess the Challenger space shuttle. Mm -hmm. So the cause was it exploded, some O rings, whatever. But if you there is a story uh, when you when you dig down, which is that there was human management error, and there was a story of making deadlines on time, and what's gonna you know Reagan might cut the budget of the space shuttle, uh, and so 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 human stories kind of you know digging for those stories does sometimes illuminate the the root causes of an accident. Well, that's an interesting. I'm I'm fascinated with this because I do think. Some accidents are totally random. You can't control like earthquakes. That's pretty hard to control for. But there are some accidents, so-called accidents, that are really just systems gone awry and that humans can change those systems. And there was a fascinating New Yorker article about Chernobyl, the TV series, which was uh, that they the, the series distorted the story of Chernobyl by giving an evil... Uh, people in in the Soviet Union who were um, making these horrible decisions that cost people lives. But really, this uh, writer argued, it was more a system that was built up, a bureaucracy. No one was totally at, at fault. It was just these horrible incentives. So if we can adjust those, if we can change the system, if we can, um, you know, there are ways uh, to to uh, cure uh, people who have intestinal worms. You've just got to set up a system where people get the right medicine. So um, so I, I do think that just focusing on human-caused error, human-caused suffering is bad because there are non-human-caused suffering that we can work on. But 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 knowing this bias, okay, let's just call it like our storytelling or mm -hmm. story-believing bias. Right. You do see um, examples where no, they don't advertise, you know, take this medicine, here's what it's made of, here's how you solve intestinal worms. Instead, they'll send over Gwyneth Paltrow or whatever and say, right. uh, I really, you know, here's my experience <laughs> with intestinal <laughs> worms and I took this and here's what happened. So storytelling is the way to kind of, well, again, convey it that is, information. Yes, it is effect. But let me give you another example of, of the sort of the human, the, the impersonal versus personal, like the here and why it's a problem. Uh, and, and several behavioral economists have talked about this, like Daniel Kahneman, how... Climate change 
is like a perfect storm of bad stories. It's not an interesting story. It's very slow and gradual. It's not like a moment. It is, there's no clear villain, uh, no face you can put on it. It's not very visual because it happens so slowly. Uh, and, and it's complex with hundreds of, um, uh, of factors and the solution is a complex too. So it's a, that is a large part, I believe, of why we have been able to ignore climate change for so long. Uh, it's just it's so deadly dull. Um, but uh, we, can, we need to do something about it. Even though it's not a good story, we need to change it. I wonder if, um, you know, the way they put story on it now is by describing, well, in 2050, you know, your grandchildren are going to be underwater you know, if they live in Manhattan. So they kind of figure out ways to to describe the outcomes via stories. Yeah. And, and that sort of lights a fire under people. Uh, you know, but, uh, you know, I think, you know, we're getting getting to the negative. We, we discussed already a lot of advertising is based on storytelling. And that's that, that tends to be manipulative, often tends to lie about the the benefits of, of a certain product, uh, so that you that you feel inclined to buy, because like if if some supermodel is eating a hamburger, you think, oh, I could eat that hamburger and <laughs> too, or or so 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 storytelling is is it could be very manipulative. Right. Uh, uh, also, you know, this is a classic. You know, you know the the quote: "Religion is the opiate of the masses," from Karl Marx you know, religion is, is essentially a story. So it's a story of creation. There's usually heroes in, in, in every religious story. Um, but what's, what's the outcome? It's usually to create a set of rules that the ruling class wants the masses to follow. So a classic example is India, where the, the stories of the, of the religion have, have, you know, while there's many, upsides to those stories there's also downsides like the caste system is horrible mm, yeah. or was horrible for thousands of years in india and still sort of uh, exists in, in a different form um you know and that entire caste system was created by the stories of the religion and you know stories of heaven and hell are a way to keep uh children in line often like you're gonna go to hell if you do this 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 and this and it kind of keeps people uh, behaved in the way that the adults want them to behave, whether that's good or not. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. uh, similar to religion, there's, there's, and you brought it up earlier. There's, there's nationalism. Like America is the best because we're the first country to have freedom and <laughs> all these things, mm -hmm. and that kind mm -hmm. of creates this story where we maybe ignore um, some of the the downsides of what America does, both overseas and and internally, and so so you know, economic systems like capitalism and uh, nationalism, communism, uh, 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 religions, all, all religions basically are, are stories. And we all assume they're real. They, they, the, the reality of a religion is, is, is blended with the, the fiction. We don't know what's fact or, or, or fiction because we've been, we've been telling these stories for thousands and thousands of years. So it becomes a real debate. Like, do you teach creationism in school? is did Moses part the Red Sea or not? Like people uh, people today think these stories could be 
real because we've been told them for thousands of years. But in reality, they they probably were just stories told by, you know, again, either adults or the, the ruling class to control uh, kids or lower classes or whatever. Yeah. Well, like you say, stories, are they're a tool. They can be used for good or bad. Uh, I just worry a lot of them are used for for bad. Yeah, and 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 every and again, as Yuval Harari points out in *Sapiens*, even even money is a story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, why do you believe? Like, I don't know if you have a dollar bill on you. I don't know if I do. But why do you believe? Like, a dollar bill should buy you. A, like, here's a hundred dollar bill. Why should this buy me this a green pair of piece shoes? of paper? Right. It's just a green piece of paper. It says, "In God we trust." So because we've been told all these stories about God. Oh yeah, and God we trust. I guess this is is valuable. And then it's got um, this picture of you know what is this hall, Federal Hall or something, where the United States was con- the story of the United States was conceived. So okay, oh the United States is the story of the United States was conceived there, and it's got a signature on it. So it's like the story of contracts is you know oh, it must be a contract. So I've got to believe this. So all of these stories combine on this hundred dollar bill to make us believe that this little piece of paper you carry around a hundred dollar bill you're I, fancy i i do yes it's, <laughs> it's, i actually uh, it's a hard you know if you take out like a couple hundred dollar bills from the atm you can't it's hard to get 20s and nobody takes a hundred dollar bill so no. it's hard all you can do is snort cocaine with it <laughs> but that's a good snort. example of what's good and bad because you know, i i do think the monetary system has made trade possible uh so that particular story that particular fiction has had huge amounts of positive consequences positive and negative because Again, the, the 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 story of like why is America America and Canada Canada? It's just a story mm-hmm. that we're different somehow. Yeah, You're, and nationalism. Gonna... That story has its pros and cons for sure. Um, can I give you one other negative? Yeah. Before we uh, ramp up the, I think stories uh, underplay the role of luck, and I'll tell you why I think that's a problem. Uh, a good story is humans doing things as opposed to things just happening. So like JFK uh, being assassinated by a conspiracy of Cubans and the mafia, that's a good story. JFK being randomly shot by this loner loser, that's not an interesting story. It, it, it makes it almost meaningless that the world could change by, by the, this loser with a bad haircut. Our, our, our brains crave some sort of bigger meaning. Um, And I think this is a problem, not just because it's not true. A lot of things just do happen by luck. I think it's a problem because it causes a lack of compassion. So when we see someone who's poor, we can tell ourselves the story, oh, they were lazy. They were lazy. It's not that they had total bad luck and were born into these circumstances. They were lazy, therefore they didn't. Or someone who's fat. We can tell ourselves a story. It's a more interesting story that they are, they have no willpower and they just eat uh, Whopper Juniors uh, 40 times a day. That's a more interesting story than um, they have some sort of uh, hormonal imbalance that makes them fat. We want a human cause, like a motivation for everything. And I think it affects our compassion towards those who who've just had bad luck. I think I think it's a great point and it, and it's related again to um let's say uh kind of the ways religions have used stories in negative ways like why should there be a caste called untouchables in mm. 
India when that for thousands of years is just it kind of is the sperm lottery like what <laughs> caste you were you were born into. Um, and I, I'll say there's one more negative, uh, which is escapism. So mm. sometimes I have found for myself, let's say I don't have a job or I'm going broke or I'm having problems in a relationship, I often dive into reading novel after novel or, or binge watching TV as a form of escapism. I could live in another world for a little while instead of dealing with my own world. And and we see this actually as unemployment goes up, people tend to uh, sort of retreat, like games now, computer games are so sophisticated, they're almost, you, you become an actor, a character in a story in another world. And people retreat, like young people retreat into these other worlds and and stay there. <laughs> And they never come out, and it's it's a big problem in some some societies where, uh, you know, marriages are going down, relationships are going down, you know, number of relationships because people are just getting, you know, sort of, you know, they're li living these lives of quiet desperation and retreating into into living in stories instead of living in in real life. Now, right. all, all, all this said, I do think we can't avoid stories, like you said, we're we're wired for it. So I think the critical thing is to 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 study the structure of a story and question whether it's important to be the hero of your own story and uh, uh, and also to understand how you can communicate better by mastering the art of storytelling. I, I don't think anyone can be hurt by getting to be a better storyteller since that's really how all communication happens. I know for me, so I, from 2000 to 2009, I used to write about stocks for all sorts of places. Right. So I'd, and, and, and I was good at it. Like I'd write the story of a stock. Instead of just saying, mm. this stock makes this money, so it should be worth this. I would say, here's how it started. Here's the scientists involved. Here's what their backgrounds were. I would tell a story and that would do well. But what I noticed was when I switched to telling my own story of failure and bouncing back, and the things that I went through, and I and rather oh, than just yeah. giving a rather I than just that. giving a list of like self help, like this is what you do, do this, 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 telling my story and and saying, this is not self help. This is my story. You could pay attention to it or not. My audience, so meaning my career, quadrupled or went mm -hmm. up by ten. Right. So so understanding the structure of a story and using it, whether it's nonfiction, fiction, public speaking, building a company. When you build a company. Who is the hero in the story? It's not you, it's the customer. Mm. You're inviting the customer to go from the ordinary world where they're not using your products to the extraordinary <laughs> world where they are using your products and, I like that. and and you encourage them along the path of your story. So your ability to tell the story of your company actually makes your company bigger, better, more successful, and so on. So, so despite all the positives, despite all the negatives, it's very important to understand storytelling and and be aware of all these biases and and, and try to master the this or get better at the structure of storytelling. Right. Love it. I have I have one more negative because I just I can't resist, and then I'll give you what uh, sort of my takeaway on this. Uh, sure. The other negative is that um, I remember Lady Gaga this year gave an Oscar speech about how how showbiz how hard it is and how hard you have to work, and everyone's telling you no no no. And then you work hard enough and you will make it. And that is an awesome, inspiring story. Uh, but, but, the, but the truth is that that's like one out of a thousand. Like 999 right. people don't have the talent or luck 
and they're just going to, like, that speech, I worry, will cause <laughs> thousands of untalented well, kids to waste their lives trying to be singers when they could be doing something else. So that's an example of, of selection bias. We only yeah. hear the stories totally. of the people who succeed. So if you if you... If you just read the stories of success like, oh, Mark Zuckerberg, Bill Gates, you would think to yourself, okay, the first step in the story of success is dropping out of college. <laughs> and that's an example of, of uh, selection bias. But I would say your story I- inspires me. So so for you, you don't when you write a book like uh, It's All Relative or you wrote your book about gratitude, you, just, you don't just list a bunch of facts about why gratitude is good or how we're all related. You make yourself the hero of a story that becomes your book. So instead of just saying, hey, we're all related, here's the scientific research, you start creating the world's largest family reunion and you go out and meet all your relatives. You you go from the ordinary world to the extraordinary and make yourself the hero of it and then you write your story. And you don't just... When you write about uh, the Encyclopedia, or you wrote the book The Know It All, where you were about the Encyclopedia Britannica, it's not just of all these weird things in the Encyclopedia Britannica. You read the Encyclopedia Britannica from A to Z. You jumped into the extraordinary world, did something that nobody else would do, and then you wrote the story of that and all that you encountered along the way. So you have successfully built your career around mastering the the arc of the hero, the the art of storytelling. Well, bless you, right back at you. And uh, yes, I'm very thankful for stories because again, I wouldn't have a career without it. But but you just have to. Your your point is you have to be aware of the of very strongly aware of the biases. Being aware of the biases, be think more probabilistically. And here's I guess the big takeaway for me is try to make sure that your stories align better with the reality with statistics. Uh, because uh, Brene Brown, she talks about how stories are the flesh that flesh out the skeleton that is data. But the problem with that is sometimes it's very lopsided. Like you could only have the elbow because that's the interesting flesh, like or whatever they. So what we were talking about, the girl down the well, is a very interesting story, um, but it doesn't represent the vast majority of reality. So try to tell stories uh, that are statistically more common. Try to align your stories. So, so tell the story of these kids who, who die of terrible diseases uh, as opposed to focusing on you know the one or two kids who uh, are attacked by a giant squid or whatever. Or, or at least don't be afraid to go into the ocean because you think you're going to automatically be bitten by a shark. <laughs> exactly. Like, like be, be aware of these of these biases. Don't be manipulated. And, and the agendas of everybody telling you a story. Right. What's, what's the story of those agendas you have to be aware of too? Yeah. Try to embrace the boring. Try to be more open to boring, complex, nuanced, gray stories that may or may not have villains. So there's, there's something... I always say, which I'm going to say in a slightly different way, but there's always a good story and the real story. So mm. if my daughter wants to go study at the library late at night, I'll say, why are you going to the library instead of just study, instead of going here? And, and the good story is she'll say, oh, I can study very easily in the library and all the books are in the library. The, but then there's the real story. Oh, which you never get. But the real story is, oh, there's lots of boys here, so I'm going <laughs> to hang out with in the library. So so always look for the real story when you, when you hear a good story. I like it. I like it. All right. Uh, 
Well, there you go. My, my belief is that this episode will change the world and we will all become uh, liberated and live in a, a liberated utopia. and master storytellers. Because I do yeah. think people can improve their lives by getting better at storytelling. True. Just tell the right stories. Yes. Use it for use your power for good. That's right. Exactly. Uh, with great storytelling comes great responsibility. Exactly. Uncle Ben from, <laughs> from Spider-Man. <laughs> Thank you, James. Thank you, AJ. 